0: Well, let's open the Bible now to 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. We're just making our way bit by bit, paragraph by paragraph, through this great letter from the Apostle Peter to a a group of suffering Christians in the ancient world. And today we come to a passage that is uh, so important for us in terms of preparation, and we'll see that as we get into it. But first let's read it together. 1 Peter chapter 3 verses 13 through 17. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy This is God's word. There's a hymn with the words, I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. We resonate with those words, don't we? We, we long for faith that stands for Christ in a world that stands against him. But how do we get there? How does that, that boldness so capture our heart that it defines our life? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. Peter shows growth into Christ-likeness includes an ability to suffer well, including suffering persecution. Jesus suffered, and we, his servants, are, are not above our master. If he suffered, we will suffer too. Suffering for Christ is courageous. Yet, to many of us, it it might seem impossible. When we're alone, when the questions start coming, and we start feeling the pressure, how do we stand for Jesus then? What do we have in that moment that makes a difference? Peter shows us three truths in this passage to encourage us. First, blessing from Christ never fades. Second, honoring Christ constantly prepares. And third, living for Christ always shines. So first, blessing from Christ never fades. Verses 13 through 14. We live in a time and a place where, where Christian persecution it hasn't yet been widespread. And and Peter's audience was in a similar situation. The, The persecution that would come later on was still on the horizon. But Peter wanted them to be ready to understand that even in the midst of persecution, blessing from Christ never fades. In fact, it's the times of persecution that highlight the blessings the greatest. So in verses 13 and 14, he says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Now remember from last week's sermon on verses 10 through 12, uh, what did Peter do? He quoted from Psalm 34, which says God's favor is on the righteous, But evildoers will be punished. David was the psalmist, and he was suffering as he wrote this. We don't want to suffer, but we might. And that's scary. I mean, who isn't at least a little afraid of that? But fear of it cannot keep us from preparing for it. We have to think about it. So flowing from Psalm 34, Peter asks an important question in verse 13. He wants us to, to think through the implications. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing for, for if you are zealous for what is good? Uh, Peter is he's entering into our thought process. No matter what we tell ourselves about suffering, our our default It's to connect a life of health and peace to God's blessing and a life of suffering to his displeasure. But is that what the Bible says? Peter presses us here to think biblically and eternally. As we see persecution out ahead, what should we conclude about the blessing of God? If we only look to today, we might conclude it's not worth it. (laughs) It's far too painful. But if we're looking to that great and final day when we stand before the Lord and enter his presence, no matter the living hell our persecutors put us through, what blessing from Christ can they take from us as we enter heaven? In fact, all of their efforts only made this day All the more wonderful as we enter into the presence of the one who never stopped loving us, whose very sufferings became our peace, whose embrace is all our heart ever longed for, and who in our sufferings became to us our only hope rather than taking Jesus from us our suffering showed him that he was all showed us that he was all that we ever needed and really all that we ever had peter says even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake you will be blessed i mean this is how the bible trains us true blessing from christ never fades no matter what this world might do to us That was the conclusion that David came to in Psalm 34. David was uh, among Israel's great enemy, the Philistines, where he acted crazy in front of their king to avoid being harmed. But why was he there in the first place? Because Israel's king, Saul, drove him out of Jerusalem. The king at home wanted him dead, and the king of the Philistines wanted him dead, too. Who was there to harm David? (laughs) Everyone, it seemed. I mean, the king of the Philistines wanted him dead? People at home wanted him dead. Who's there to harm me? God, everyone is. Yet David said, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Rather than rejecting God, David leaned into him all the more. He found protection in God. He said, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So by faith, David saw beyond his current circumstances into the truth of God's future for him. He saw those who take refuge in the Lord are blessed. Those who fear him have no lack. But that doesn't mean their life is easy. Yet David ended the psalm saying, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. David was suffering for one reason, and really one reason only. He was God's chosen king. He was suffering because God loved him. In this world, that's the kind of crazy thing that happens. People might hate us because God loves us. David was stripped of all he had, his house, his office, his family. But when everything was taken, he found himself richer in God than ever before. David did not deny the reality of suffering for righteousness' sake. He just looked deeper into it. By faith, he looked to what God has for his people in suffering. And what he found is what Peter urged us to dare to believe. In the Christian life, suffering and blessing are not opposite ends of the spectrum. They move together. Blessing does not mean no suffering and suffering does not mean no blessing. There is blessing in the suffering. And no matter how much suffering takes from us, blessing from Christ never fades. The more this world hurts us because of Christ, the more Christ comforts us by his spirit. Throughout the Bible, it is the sufferings of God's people that brings them closest to God. So when Peter asks, who can harm you? He's getting at the very foundation, the very uh, foundation of our functional beliefs. We tend to think that the removal of Christ's blessing is That Suffering is the removal of Christ's blessing. But the Bible says it's the opposite. I mean, really, our persecutors might even be doing us a favor. As they hurl insults and our reputation takes a hit, we realize it was a smile of Christ that was all we ever needed anyway. As they take our responsibilities, our opportunities away, we realize that our true work was to love the Lord anyway. As we lose power and and control, we find comfort in God's sovereignty, and, and we we can actually let go of the reins on our life without even realizing it. Our persecutors. Push us deeper into God. He becomes our true reputation. He becomes our true wealth. He becomes our true power and comfort and security. But still, how do we know good can come from suffering? And it's not just this wishful thinking. How do we know it's true? Well, we know because of Jesus. Jesus. Was Jesus blessed? Yeah, of course he was. Did Jesus suffer? Yes, of course he did. Jesus suffered, yet was blessed. Jesus was blessed, yet suffered. No one had more afflictions than him, but he was a beloved son of God in whom God was well pleased. If suffering was good enough for Jesus. Is it not good enough for us? Jesus told us what would happen when we suffer for his name. He didn't leave us in the dark. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You see, Jesus knew the world would be a scary place for his people. But he gave us his word, something steady and sure to hold us in those stormy times. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. No one can ultimately harm us. The worst, Jesus said, they can do is kill us. And even then they are not to be feared. He said, "Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul." As Paul said in Romans 8:31, "What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us?" In Christ even our times of suffering are made into times of blessing. A blessing, a blessing from Christ never fades. There's no expiration date to fear. There's no harming substance to ruin it. You can put Christians in a raging fire and they are just refined like precious metal in God's care. The pain of this world is only temporary. But the blessing from Christ is eternal life in him. Your future in Christ is incredibly bright. So have no fear, nor be troubled. Christ is yours. But still, the fire does burn, doesn't it? How can we stand when the heat's turned up? Well, that's our next point. Honoring Christ constantly prepares Verse 15. We can agree with what we just heard, but still wonder how we will stand for Christ in the day of testing. So Peter addresses that next in verse 15. And really, this is the key verse to the entire passage. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. So verse 14 ended with a command, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And verse 15 opens with the alternative to fear. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. The way out of fear is honoring Christ. But what does it mean to honor Christ? Well, think of the Lord's prayer, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallow is the same word Peter uses for honor. To hallow Christ is to honor him. In biblical language, it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Everything else in the Christian life becomes possible when that becomes a reality. And that becomes a reality As we behold the glory of Jesus in the gospel, as we see the Holy One step out of heaven and come down to earth to save his people. Maybe we think of the gospel as only the doorway that gets us saved. But the gospel isn't only the doorway, it's the pathway. The further in we go, the bigger it gets. The call of Christ is to follow deeper and deeper down the gospel's path. We need, as my friend, Jared Wilson calls it, the gospel deeps. We need the deep, deep love of Christ for our deep, deep need. We tend to flatten the gospel to to make it one dimensional. But Jesus constantly expands it, creating a whole world in which we live and move and have our being. And in a passage like this, he's asking us to walk way down the, pl- the path to a place this world will never understand, but one Christians throughout history understand really well. As we walk down the path of suffering for the gospel, we find the suffering servant, ready to welcome us at the end. And now we're fit for him in ways that only suffering can do. How do we walk down that path? How do we honor Jesus as holy? It's all about beholding. (laughs) That's the great thing about the gospel. God is asking us to behold the gospel. I mean, have you ever noticed how often the Bible calls us to behold? Why does it do that? Because we'll never see the depths of the gospel until we behold it. And we can't behold it until we're looking at it. As Ray Ortland says, stare at the glory of God until you see it. <laughs> Beholding God's glory in the gospel is the thing that changes everything about our lives. But how do we do this? How do we behold Christ in the gospel? I mean, maybe, maybe your view of it is smudged. I mean, it gets that way in this world of sin. But Jesus washed the feet of sinners, so he can wipe your eyes as well. It, it starts just really with asking him to give us eyes to behold. I mean, one of the problems with us is that, that it's it's easy to look at Jesus without really seeing him. We do it all the time, or at least I do. I read my Bible and I can't remember what I just read. We come to church and we can't even remember the the, the sermon text an hour later. We're seeing, but not beholding. It's like if I asked you what a quarter looks like. You'd say, yeah, I know what a quarter looks like. Okay, well, what's written on the quarter? (laughs) What's on each side? You know what it looks like because you've seen it, but you haven't beheld it. So you don't really know what it looks like at all. We can be like that with Jesus, but we can't move ahead properly without first beholding clearly. There's an example from the world of psychological science, the the impact that beholding has on us. Researchers asked a group of college students to look up at either a tall building or a grove of eucalyptus trees for one minute, just one minute. The students who studied the trees experienced more feelings of awe a sense of wonder and of being in the presence of something larger than oneself. Afterwards, when one of the experimenters pretended to accidentally drop a bunch of pens, the students who had seen the trees and felt awe helped pick up more pens than those who had looked at the building. So awe changes us. It has an impact on our life. It changes what we do. If staring at trees can make students more generous and helpful, what can staring at the glory of God do? The glory of Christ is far more awe-inspiring than trees. I mean, Jesus died for you. Who else has done that? More than that, he rose for you, promising a renewed and restored world with him Forever. As we walk down the gospel's path, we behold Jesus in his glory and we honor him and praise his redemption by his blood. As we consider him our greatest good, his salvation, our greatest need, his way as supreme. Then we are ready for what Peter commands next. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is within you. Because what is our hope? It's Jesus himself, isn't it? It's his salvation of our souls. We aren't hoping for an easy life, but for a holy one set apart to him. We aren't hoping for happiness at all costs, but for Jesus and his righteousness. We've felt the sorrow and the shame and the guilt of sin and looked to Jesus for rescue, and he did rescue us. In mercy and grace, he took upon himself all our sins and bore the wrath of the Father in himself on our behalf. He forgave us by his blood. No more sin, no more shame, no more guilt. We are free. Jesus is our hope, our only hope. So when persecution comes and we're asked about the reason for our hope, it's not the precise theological answers, the the seminary degree dissertation that we're asked to give. It's Jesus. It's, It's Jesus. We tell of what we've seen, the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love mingled down. Did did ever such a love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Suffering breaks us open, doesn't it? What's really inside of us when suffering comes just gushes out. So as we honor Christ deep within as holy, When suffering comes and breaks our heart, what comes out but the Lord Jesus himself, when this world rejects you and beats you and cracks you open because you've been honoring Christ, the Lord as holy as they attempt to break your spirit, what they end up finding is his. As you continue to just look to Jesus, you are more prepared for that day than you realize. And if you feel as if you aren't because you haven't ever really beheld him in his glory, well, the good news is you can start today. Just ask him to help. He's never once not helped someone see him who asked. When we deeply accept the love of Jesus, not only does he prepare us to make a defense, but he also makes us shine as we live before him, which is our third point. Living for Christ always shines. Verses 16 and 17. Look at those verses with me now. Having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So, after urging us to boldness for Christ, Peter doesn't let us forget that it's a humble boldness. A life of humility complements our bold stand. There's a great illustration of this from President Woodrow Wilson. (laughs) He, He once told of his experience going to the barbershop. Here's what he remembered. He said, While sitting in a chair, I became aware that a personality had entered the room. A man had come quietly in upon the same errand as myself and sat in the the chair next to me. Every word he uttered showed a personal and vital interest in the man who was serving them. Uh, Wilson went on to, to share more of that experience He realized later that the man sitting next to him was the great evangelist D.L. Moody. Moody was a holy man. He was one who lived for Christ and spoke boldly for Christ. He was willing to be reviled without reviling in return. He was willing to be slandered without slandering in return. He was willing to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And here, in Wilson's words, was the effect of Moody's life on just a normal day going to the barber shop. Wilson says, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because Mr. Moody was in the next chair. I purposely lingered in the room after he left and noted the singular effect his visit had upon the barbers in that shop. They talked in undertones. They did not know his name, but they knew that something had elevated their thought. And I felt that I had left that place as I should have left a place of worship. What can any enemy ultimately say about such a man? Living for Christ always shines. It did in the life of D.L. Moody. And it does in yours as you just live your normal life for him. It starts way down deep inside of us, in our hearts, as we honor the Christ, the Lord as holy. And it expresses itself outward in our deeds and our actions as we live our very normal life. D.L. Moody went to get a haircut and left an impression on a president. You have no idea what your little faithful life with Jesus will do. Who in this world you will impress? So you might suffer. You might be slandered. You might be reviled. But it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Have a good conscience. That's what Peter is telling us. Live for Christ and let his light shine through you. Who can harm you then? Even if they kill you, your life in Christ will have an effect. Your hope will linger in this world. It will stick in their shoe like a rock, pestering them and bothering them, unable to leave their mind. And who knows? Perhaps God will use you and your faith to bring another person into the kingdom. Who else but the Lord Jesus Christ can make times of persecution into opportunities to witness to his grace and mercy. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Everything flows from that one important decision. If we will decide moment by moment, to honor Christ deep within our hearts. He'll never fail us, no matter what we face. We'll only find in him all that he promised to be. As the hymn says, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail pierced hands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your overwhelming grace, for the mercy that you have shown to us. We thank you that your call is merely to behold you, to honor you in our hearts as holy. Father, I pray that we would do that. I pray that you would help us. That in the days to come, if we are to face persecution, we would have the humble, bold faith you call us to here. And we ask you to prepare us now by simply looking to you, beholding you in your glory. Lord, give us the eyes to see. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.